to the 198th episode of Film Fallout, a monthly podcast about film and occasionally television. But once again, we're back for another uh, film festival edition, but this time we're talking about the Vancouver International Film Festival. And we got six movies here, but I've also got uh, my friend Conti, who uh, joined us last time for the Fantasia Fest. How you doing? I'm doing great. Okay, cool. Well, let's just start this off really quickly. Uh, like last time, I think I just let you pick whatever movie I did, um, order them, I believe in the way that I did watch them. So we could start that way or however you want. Shoot. Um, yeah, we can go in the order you watch them. That'd be interesting. All right, cool. Uh, I believe the first movie that I watched was the worst person in the world. The Joaquin Trier movie who I've been a fan of his stuff for a while. Um, Oslo August 31st was like a loose retelling of the fire within that uh, nihilistic poem and it, it's really really interesting um his style is kind of it, it there is a style there but it feels a bit more natural than you'd think uh he did an english language film called louder than bombs that had like a really big cast with gabriel byrne jesse eisenberg uh isabel Huppert. i think rachel brosnahan was in it a movie that i thought was great very like novelistic but it I don't know, just disappeared. I think that the subject matter sort of pushed people away and not particularly accessible. Yeah. And then he made like sort of a De Palma-esque film called Thelma uh, that I thought was pretty underwhelming. I'm not sure he's suited for genre work, but The Worst Person in the World, um, I'll say the the letterboxed synopsis is it chronicles four years in the life of Julie, a young woman who navigates the troubled waters of her love life and uh, struggles to find her career path, leading her to take a realistic look at who she really is, which seems something for, I guess, us in our late twenties, almost entering into our thirties, um, about, you know, these people are just end up being kind of lost in their relationships and their lives. Uh, so honestly, this is, it seems very suited for us and from everyone that I've heard about it that is in our age range, they really, really like it. And it's a really funny movie. It's really funny. Um, it's really, you know, kind of sad. It's bittersweet in the way that it presents itself. But there's a lot of highlights in it. Um, the lead uh, performance in it of, I'm going to fuck up the name because it's Norwegian, <laughs> uh, Renata Reinsva, who won the Best Actress Award at Cannes, then oh, totally yeah. deserves it based off what I saw. Yeah, for this, oh. yeah. And she's fantastic and she's she like is the head of the whole movie. Uh and yeah, I brisk two hours, definitely like worth the watch. I I I'm I haven't seen much of uh Joachim Shear's films. Um I'd say this is probably his like most lighthearted, so maybe start with this one and then go back because his other ones aren't 
particularly like easy watches yeah. they're very entertaining but it's just it's heavy subject matter I, I saw Oslo August 31st that was like the only one I saw and that was uh yeah that wasn't very light subject matter no no yeah it's <laughs> it's super difficult and it 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 makes sense for what he's telling and it's appropriate for the story it's just I think he's a hard filmmaker to tell someone to jump into at least chronologically speaking i know he has a movie before that called reprise that i saw that i don't remember being that much into but um that was more stylistic um and i guess was it felt like it was aping more of like the nine like the late 90s like bro dramas i suppose and it didn't work all that well but uh three for five um isn't that bad for a director's run for me at least so i'll take it yeah i mean i feel like Norwegian filmmakers tend to, tend to be like on the. I don't know. They they all make like good, decent enough films, like genuinely. Like they. But you have the last name Trier, so you're probably gonna make some decent stuff most of the time. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I'm, Scandinavia in, in general, just that area. It's it's like. Yeah. I don't know if there's something to trust in the filmmaking there that it's like, oh, okay, they all at least know what they're doing. You know what I mean? Like there seems to be they'll come from the same place and they just get it. Yeah, they don't uh, have like a really good understanding of just like what makes a movie that works really well. So like, even at that rate, most of the films just kind of already work pretty well. Yeah, and then it's it's from there that you get to experiment, and of course we're generalizing all about uh, Norwegians and Scandinavian culture, but uh, the movie is fantastic and I, I don't feel like we're going too far off base in saying that uh, there's a lot of confident filmmakers there. Oh no, no, for sure. I mean like Scandi, the whole like Scandi crime drama is like fucking great. Like most of those films were really on point. Yeah. It's super popular. And even they're like TV shows that come from there, you know, the fact that, what the killing originated from there and then it came yeah. here and it just could not like American filmmakers could not do it. They could not uh, replicate it, was it well enough. Netflix's first show was that show with um. The, oh, uh, what's his name from the East? Silvio, East. yeah, Silvio Dante. <laughs> yeah, and it was like a Scandinavian set show and made show. And I remember watching it, and I was like, "Well, this isn't the best show I've ever seen." It's like it. Lily Hammer. Yeah, Lily Hammer. There we go. I'm like, yeah, this show works. Like it's 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 made well enough. It's it's probably a good first like it's a good start to your I, I don't know your originals I suppose yeah I, uh, for a company that does that didn't do that at the time I feel like the ending of the whole Scandi Noir thing was uh the, the snowman yeah yeah the snowman really I mean at least for here yeah you know I think it's still happening I think there's a, still a big TV push especially because the Brits are still sort of like going off that trend but uh, the yeah the snowman really it. Yeah, that ended it. Yeah, that ended Scandinor really quick. But yeah, no, I feel like, yeah, Scandinavian and, like, Danish, Norwegian filmmakers all just kind of have, like, a really good foundation for what makes, like, films work. Well, I uh, I wanted to bring up our next movie, uh, Drive My Car, which there's a whole bunch to unpack here. So I'll start by saying the director, uh, Ryosuke Hamaguchi, who did movies like, uh, Asako one and two. I know he has another movie coming out this year, uh, that is called wheel of fortune and fantasy. And they're from what I've gathered, cause I have only seen drive my car. They are sort of ponderous dramas. 
um, that sort of reflect on this like meta status of the narrative that's happening. That's and uh, Drive My Car is ba- a three-hour adaptation of a short story based off Haruki Murakami, who, um, I guess in the literary world now, he's kind of... I don't, I don't want to say a laughingstock. I just think he's sort of like, you know what you're getting when you read something from him. Like It's always the same main character. It's always the same sort of mysticism. There's something to do with like cats, uh, the solitary lead characters. And I think that works for him. That's fine. But there have been some great Murakami adaptations uh, due to uh, these directors adapting off of it and adding to his work, which I think needs to be done. Um, Did you watch Burning, the Steven Yeun uh, movie that came out, I guess, a couple years ago? Uh, No, I haven't seen it yet. I actually really wanted to, but just never got around to it. That's another one that... uh, it's a two and a half hour like drama that is based off a Murakami short story that sort of takes the basis and really follows the short story for a large portion of it until the movie just expands upon it. And it expands upon it in the most brilliant way. And Drive My Car does that as well. And it, But it expands just like inward and outward. Like there's so much here. Mm-hmm. And while I can't say like that three hour um, runtime... It it feels earned because the movie has like a very slow pace. It's methodical. It's going along. It it might not necessarily feel like it has earned it, um, but by the time I get to the end of the movie, I feel like it's told this complete story and it needed that time, even if it just maybe there was a way we could have told it that was a bit shorter. Um, but it it's it feels like again confident. Confidence like the only word I can think here. The the guts to make a three-hour movie about a man who's lost his wife and that man goes back to uh, directing theater and to cast in the lead role, he casts the man who was he found sleeping with his wife before she died. Oh, shit. <laughs> and it, exactly. It sounds incredibly like lurid and that it would be like very pulpy, but it's not at all. It It's... It's very singular and it's meditative is the best way to come across it. It's about people like discussing things without discussing them and then going like openly talking about their dreams and what they mean to them, like in the real world, uh, openly discussing their, their traumas and their lives without feeling like it's unrealistic. It's just realistic to this world that we're in. Yeah. Uh, but it's a, a lovely, lovely movie. Um, and I think for Murakami adaptations, uh, it's among the best. I know there haven't been too many. I know Norwegian Wood uh, came out like almost ten years ago now. That has a, I think it's best known because it has a great Johnny Greenwood score. Oh yeah. Uh, I think one of the early scores that he did. But it's um, th- that that's a film that sort of just took that. You know, it's a novel. It went with it. There, there's not a whole lot to add there. Uh, but to add to one of his short stories, I think, is the best we're going to get for an adaptation of Murakami. And I'd love to see Ryosuke Hamaguchi's movies, especially Asako 1 and 2. Um, yeah, I know Drive My Car is excellent. Man, three hours is, is long, but... It's a lot to ask, you know? Like, I can't... It, we've been having this discussion over the past, like, pandemic about, you know, asking people to go to a theater to watch a movie. It's like... It, is it is it selfish to do that to accept that 
uh, going to the theater is like a culture within itself. And to ask people to leave their homes is, you know, bad. I, I mean, we could have that discussion the whole way through. Uh, I only wanted to bring it up because um, to ask people to watch Drive My Car at Home, I think, is another story than to ask them to sit in a theater if there was no pandemic happening. Yeah. If there was no pandemic happening and I could guarantee safety to every single person that was sitting in a theater that they would know they could give a chance to drive my car if they sat there, I would. I would tell them to see it in the theater. If they were watching it at home, I can't promise anyone that they're going to be able to sit there and give it its full attention. And I think the movie deserves the full attention. That's that's not to say that nobody's trying. I think everybody tries when they go to watch a movie that they're interested in. Sometimes it just happens. Your attention, you know, goes elsewhere. Yeah. But, but it's, it's a, it's a movie that I recommend giving, um, your attention and i i recommend it yeah i feel like with three hour films it's just like i mean even asking somebody to like give any regular length movie their, their full attention at home is, is quite a bit just because there's so many other things in your peripherals that are going to get in the way three hours mm-hmm. of attention is is a lot to ask for people which is funny to say because if you ask somebody to watch a tv show like squid game or something they'll just blow through the shit in a heartbeat and like give it its full well, attention it, it with it uh, i thought of this and it's because of the way that with something like squid game you're giving people the permission to back out if they want to like True, if yeah. there is something that they want to do there is nothing holding them back from going like i can stop this i can come back to the story later That's when you're true. watching a, yeah when you're watching a movie theoretically speaking uh you're, you're getting the whole story and there's no backing away from it. I mean, you can pause the movie, come back later, which is something that I swear people did a whole lot more earlier. But now that TV has become more accessible, you don't have to sit there at a specific time. Um, it, people can just go. They, they can come back to it later. They can watch it the next day. They can watch all of it that day if they want to. But once you watch a movie, uh, that story is done. There's no guarantee it might come back for a next season. I mean, you might get a sequel, but for a lot of them, I mean, movies that i watch uh they're mostly one and done yeah that's true it is the commitment versus like non-committal aspect of it where with tv it's always you can bow out and then people just kind of choose not to and just go down that rabbit hole versus like putting on a movie for like three hours is like this is this is the one thing i am getting for the next three hours and like i won't we have it i won't have it out until those three hours are out mm-hmm yeah, and, and to, I mean, I think there's an unconscious thing where to break that spell you have with a movie to go, like, I'll come back later, it, you know, you got to jump back into it again. You know, that takes time to get to where the movie is if you're that kind of person. Yeah. Um, I mean, I, I certainly am. Like, I, I have that thing where I was watching The Last Duel and I had to go to the washroom. I was just having, I don't know, like, needed to go that day yeah all the time and so i had to leave twice and i really didn't want to leave because i knew i was going to have that issue where i needed to settle with the movie again for like two minutes and like re sort of like reorient recalibrate myself, myself. Yeah, recalibrate, yeah 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 and that's that's what needs to happen no yeah that's true yeah like even like I mean, unless you time it really well like i remember when i saw like tenant in theaters um i had to run to the restroom at one point, because I was just like, again, same, same kind of situation. I really had to go, but I was lucky that like I left during a moment of. Also, that that's like a a a, a 
bad example too because that movie like I basically missed like a bunch of exposition and like it didn't really change shit for me. No, no, I mean that that that's a movie that I think the mistake of it is it thinks you need a lot of the exposition when you don't, and so I guess it's kind of nice when you come back and you go like, okay, well, that works. Yeah. <laughs> well, uh, I feel like we can jump into uh, Sean Baker's next movie, uh, Red Rocket. I I guess I'd say up front, apparently not not apparently. I don't know why I said that. Uh, Sean Baker pre-pandemic was in vancouver just around for like a year and a half two oh, years shit. and he he just went to all our like local theaters like the rio like i'd seen him there a couple times um i know we'd go into like the cinematech and all that uh i'd heard that apparently he was planning on making a movie in the downtown east side which is um full of uh homeless people uh um people who had been kicked out of um mental facilities uh just they're put, they're put on the streets. Essentially, East Hastings is a street that's, like, lined up full of, like, uh, the homeless, um, the mentally ill, um, the drug addicts. They're all there. And, of course, um, Sean Baker's thing is he goes for the realistic and tries to make a narrative out of it. Yeah, that sounds very much his speed. Uh, Tangerine was uh, his a- attempt to tell a story about the trans sex workers, yeah. if I'm getting that correctly. I watched it a long time ago. Yeah, trans sex workers in Los Angeles, actually. Yeah, and uh, the Florida Project was about these people living in these hotels just outside of Disney World, like living on the outside, hoping to get in, and, you know, Paradise is just around the corner, but they can't reach it. it, it you know, his movies aren't necessarily subtle in that theme, but they don't need to be, because when you're telling these personal stories about a lot of these people that he just finds, um, it works. Uh, and I think Red Rocket is one of those where... Simon Rex isn't an actor that I think we know him from the later <laughs> scary movies Yeah, <laughs> from like three onward. And then, uh, apparently he was a online, like gay cam porn actor at one point. Yeah. He did like, like masturbation videos. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and the rest of the cast is, I, what they, they are seemingly local. They're from this like South Texas area. Uh, if if there are actors in it, they're really good and they really fit into the world that he has built for this. Um, but it's about uh, a again. We'll go back to Letterboxd. A, a wildly narcissistic former porn star fallen on hard times, who's returned from L.A. to his depressed post-industrial hometown of Texas City reconnecting with a skeptical drug-dependent estranged wife and mother-in-law and using his wily charms to ingratiate himself into a community of people he couldn't care less about. And yeah, it's a man, or it's a story of a man using people to get, to put himself in a better place. And so you're sort of rooting for him to succeed, but you're rooting against him because you know what he's capable of and you know what he's doing and he's taking advantage of all of these people. Uh, but it's a fr- like it's frequently very funny. Uh, the personalities within the movie are great. I'd also say that I I think now I'm like I might be losing a bit of steam on that Sean Baker train. He's doing I can I see the seams of what he's doing now. Yeah. I feel I feel like I can I I know what he's doing with his stories, 
especially considering this movie has the same ending as one of his other films. Oh, and so disheartening. It, it, well, it's it it's not necessarily a bad thing if it like it makes sense. It works for the movie. It's just like it's very similar, and you can't help but like think. It's like, are you just going for the like a bit of that same structure that you're going like per movie, and yeah. then until you find something else? Because this is a guy who's now famous on Letterbox for being a bit prickly. Who, uh, I think he only watched. I swear he only watched Jalo films for like a, the entire year and a half, two years he was in Vancouver. Jalo films like Italian horror, oh, like pulpy movies, and or like Eurosleys. Like, just trashy, trashy movies. That's incredible. And so you think, like, okay, what's this guy going to make next? Like, is he going to branch out? And I don't think this is... This is not him branching out. He's doing the same thing. It's a great thing. Um, it's a little over two hours. I think it's a little bit too long. Uh, but it's a movie that... I think there's a lot of interesting stuff there. Simon Rex is great. Uh, he really fills that role. I think... I don't want to shit on Simon Rex because he's... He seems like he's probably a great guy. Um, his an amateurishness as an actor, I think, makes everybody else fit better into what they're doing. They seemingly all just are sort of uh, not trying. They they all fit in that same mold of like uh, people that seem like they could actually live there and be from that spot. Yeah, they don't really and, see uh, like, it, or like non-actors versus like people versus actors, like that whole thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, like it's just watching people like exist versus watching people like actually try to act or anything like that. Yeah, um, and that's it, it. Ends up being a, a, a strength, and um, I can't think of another movie that uses NSYNC um, in such a brilliant way. But <laughs> um, Red Rocket does a great job. Of using bye 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 as like a continued theme within the movie, yeah, uh, and that was excellent. I I'd, I'd give that uh, that five stars, but uh, the rest of the movie I'd, I'd still say it's really good. Just not um, it's not my highlight of his filmography. I've heard like good things about it. I'm just to like actually watch the film because I I always love when um like strange kind of like. Uh, <laughs> what's, what's a good word to use but like strange kind of like actors or like uh, celebrities who who were niche in like the early thousands the like the early mid thousands to rehab like talents like that yeah and have them come back and you know they're they're really impressive and to see if they can do it again yeah i'm, I'm always interested by that so i really want to check out simon rex and see like what he actually has to offer and he's got he's got a lot to offer in this movie. Um, I th- he uses I think um, a lot of his talents in the film, as you'll see. Uh, <laughs> and it's no, yeah, it's really good. It's a really good movie. It's um, I think it's just in the lineup of six movies that I saw. Uh, just by sheer quality alone, it unfortunately was in the bottom half. Oh wow. Damn, so you saw just nothing but good movies, then. Well, not quite, because the next movie I watched was <laughs> Fortune Favors <laughs> Lady Nikuko, uh, which I is an, an anime that I was hoping to see at Fantasia, but it didn't work out. Okay. Um, but it's a story 
of a mother and her daughter who seemingly have nothing alike, but they live on like a boat and um, just under different circumstances and their daily life uh, leads into, you know, problems and other fun stuff like that. Uh, but it's essentially about a, a kooky mother who um, everybody knows for making mistakes and fucking up and having all these issues and the daughter sort of being embarrassed by her and not like understanding their connection at all. And the movie explores that, uh, there's some really, really good animation, but the movies follows along like the lines of the connections of like food and a community to take care of one another. Um, and I don't know, I don't have a whole lot to say. It's a short 97 minutes, but it feels like a lot longer. And I was very bored, unfortunately, not because the subject matter isn't something that I'm like particularly into. I can, there are movies that I don't seem like I would be very interested in. And all of a sudden I am just cause the filmmaking is good. Yeah. Uh, I am also one of those people that thinks a lot of modern anime right now, especially TV wise is actually kind of boring cause there's no room for uh, creative growth, especially uh, animation wise. And that it just all sort of looks the same to me. And nobody's telling a story that hasn't been told already, or at least in a different way. Yeah, and that's seemingly it happens here. Yeah, it's 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 like the the whole like I don't know every, especially with anime and the way that like most anime is made nowadays too. With like the fact that all anime is, is made digitally versus like hand drawn. Same with like traditional animation in America. Like it, it loses a lot of its its originality based around that, and then the rest of it just kind of ends up being like cookie cutter esque. Yeah, the, 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 like that culture now is, is stagnant, you know, like, of course, I'm an anime noob, essentially, I I grew up watching Akira on what it was our, like, version of Adult Swim in Canada, and I, you know, I've seen Ghost in the Shell a whole bunch of times, and, and like, 90s, like, that sort of 90s R-rated anime is stuff that I was watching, I'm the guy that's like, oh, Kawa Bebop, you know, that's great, I, I don't, I haven't branched out that far, because when I have branched out, I've been burned. Like, the big uh, anime from last year was Jujutsu Kaisen. Uh, my girlfriend, a huge, huge fan of uh, anime. And so I watched it with her. I was like, we'll give it a shot. It's fine. And I watched it, and I had that problem that I have with everything, and that it's the same story that's being told again in this format, and yeah. it doesn't change much. And despite the fact that Fortune Favors Lady Nikuko is... a slice of life movie that i think could easily be done in live action maybe that's a bit of my problem with it and that there's does it need to be animated could this have been done in live action and i think my answer is yes it could have been done in live action and i don't think animation is necessary uh we we talked on this podcast about spider-man into the spider-verse oh yeah and i i'm fairly certain that i said that after a movie like that, why would you bother to make more live-action Spider-Man movies? Why would you... It's a movie that needed animation. Absolutely, it, ne- yeah. it, it needed that format. And we need more animated films, uh, especially in the you know, Japanese anime. Uh, we, we need them to tell a story that only they can tell in animation. Yeah. Or the take, uh, take and, full advantage of the medium as a whole versus just like... I mean, I, yeah. 
it, it's a it's a prickly tough subject because you know I, I'm I feel like I'm going after like an entire thing people love and they love it because that it it's stagnated because it's something that they know and I guess because it doesn't change that m- makes it more appealing or it, it makes it more of a comfort and I'm, I'm one of those guys that I I'm one of those people that just I don't want the comfort of that yeah I, you I, know I, I definitely fall in the same like into that spectrum with you and like everything that when it comes to anime the stuff that I really enjoy things that are pushing boundaries or like you using full advantage of of the medium or doing something new like I don't know I, I don't think that um I don't think anything that 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 is produced on a scale that large would just be like constantly reiterating the same things over and over again I think it can only be like it can because it is that large. It can only do the same thing over and over again. Yeah, that's true. Yeah, that's the second I said it out loud, I was like, "That's exactly why it is that way." Because it's yeah. too, it's too big at this point. It's it's too. I mean, there's definitely like niche anime, but like it, it doesn't sound like this was that. Yeah, like I started watching uh, Fully Cooly, I oh, guess yeah. six months ago, and I'd never seen it. And when you watch that, you think to yourself like. There is no way that this could ever be live action. This is an animated no. <laughs> story through and through, um, and it it fits that just fully. I don't see any portion of that ever, like sort of um, moving and jumping over into live action. But it that's that's something I treasure in anime. It's something I treasure in TV. It's something I treasure in film. Uh, the Sopranos did that for me earlier this year where it felt like that's really only a story that television can do. And, uh, everybody's just, just been chasing it ever since. Yeah. But, uh, now I can really only hope that anime can jump forward and there's one bit of art out there that somebody is waiting to put out. Uh, I feel like change everything. Every medium has that person just waiting in the wings. <laughs> I mean, I feel like, I I really want to talk about Squid Game now because uh, have you watched it? Um, so I started watching it, but I haven't like I've, I've been like kind of hopping between a few shows right now, so I haven't been able to like fully invest in it. Okay, well we can bring that up later. It would have been a great um, segue, but we got to finish these last two VIF movies. Okay, uh, Petite Mama, who I know you will have heard of the director uh, Celine Siama who made a movie a couple of years ago called Portrait of, of a Lady on Fire. Oh, yeah. Well, I haven't seen it, but I'm, I'm aware of her in that film. I've seen fantastic. Girlhood. Yeah, Girlhood's good. Uh, fantastic. Like She makes fantastic films, but Portrait of a Lady on Fire was just the one that blew her up uh, and was big, and if you watch it, you'll completely understand why. Uh, but yeah, Petite I've, I've Maman... I've heard, heard enough about it, yeah. Yeah, uh, Petite Maman is... Uh, a weird parallel to Fortune Favors Lady Nikuko and that uh, eight-year-old Nellie has just lost her beloved grandmother and is helping her parents clean out her mother's childhood home. She explores the house in the surrounding woods where her mom Marian used to play and where she built the treehouse Nellie has heard so much about. And one day her mother suddenly leaves. That is when Nellie meets a girl of her own age in the woods building a treehouse. Now, that bit of synopsis is holding back a bit of uh, why that narrative is so interesting. And because of that, 
I'm going to not say why. Okay. Uh, but I, before I read that, I was going to, um, and now I'm not. So I'm going to rethink the way that I was going to talk about <laughs> this movie. Uh, it's a really, really beautiful movie about um, friendship and understanding. Uh, in this, God, this, I'm going to make this movie sound so generic and boring. <laughs> it's it's 72 minutes. This oh, okay. is a 72 minute movie and it does not overstay its welcome. In fact, it feels like it's 90 minutes. That's not in a, like a bad thing. It just, it, it feels once you get to the end, you're like, okay, that's it. There's no, no more that needs to be told. It was just a beautiful rounded tale that th- there's really nothing more to add to it. And she's great now that I think what she learned with the portrait of a lady on fire, which I believe was two hours, but that's another film that feels perfectly constructed in the way that there's there's nothing extra and there's nothing you can leave out yeah it, no it, it's all there for yeah it, it's all there for a reason uh it all has purpose uh and yeah no it, it's a beautiful looking film i believe Maton did the cinematography i'm going to quickly look that up as i do this uh she worked yep and she worked with her on portrait of a lady on fire and she worked on Mati Diop's uh, movie uh, Atlantics, which was on Netflix. I don't know if you've seen that, but I love that movie. And that soundtrack uh, by Fatima Al-Qadiri was was like, I still listen to that. It's a great, great movie Um, on Netflix. So anyone can watch it. Atlantics is incredible. Yeah, yeah. Um, And and it's got, I mean, I'm not going to say it looks as good as Atlantics or anything, but it's a very (laughs) nice looking movie. Um, yeah, Petite Mama is, it, it's not, I don't think it has that shock of being like, oh my God, like she's made like a masterpiece, um, but she's made a, another highlight in her career. And uh, I mean, I'm sure Celine's got something else coming out in the next couple of years that I'll be stoked about. Yeah. It's, it looks like she's like on her, like even you, you mentioning the, the cinematographer too, Claire Mathon, so like she did. Spencer, like it, they, they're mm-hmm. all just like kind of like everyone who worked in that film's doing great things right now. Yeah, what? Because that's another Johnny Greenwood's doing the score. Uh, oh, shit. Johnny Greenwood's the score of, of yeah, of Spencer. No, oh, no, Spencer. Spencer. Oh, shit. Um, Spencer's got God, everybody's on that movie. Yeah, just everybody. like there's a ton of stuff. Pablo Lorraine's, I guess, on a bit of a kick aside from that Stephen King TV show that he did for Apple TV that apparently wasn't that good. He did a TV but, show for Apple TV. I didn't even know that. A Stephen King adaptation. That's yeah, and it had Julianne Moore and Clive Owen, and there's a it had a cast, and somehow it just bombed, and nobody paid attention to it. Wow. But maybe Celine Sciamma will get a TV show. Who knows? We'll see. Uh, we can talk about uh, another director who did have a TV show that you must have watched. Uh, speaking of like that Scandi noir, but this one was I think in Australia or New Zealand top of the lake did you watch that uh no top of the lake was is that the oh man i remember when that that show was airing but i i didn't watch it oh elizabeth moss right yep it was a uh, gene campion co-directed co-created series uh and i mean she she disappeared for a while after in the cut is that correct am i right on that that feels Uh, right possibly i'm I'm... Uh, that movie bombed, and then she's like, I'm going to do, like, Bright Star. Yeah, that was one of the movies. And then she came to do Top of the Lake. 
And I guess she came back and did a movie uh, called The Power of the Dog, which is an adaptation of a novel by, let's see if it'll tell me here, uh, Thomas Savage. And I'll say right now, this movie gave me the belief that maybe Benedict Cumberbatch is a really good actor. (laughs) I don't know about you, but he's been a guy that I thought he's very theatrical in an actual theater sense. And that's not something I personally attract yeah. to. I've I've never been attracted to the theater. Like I I've seen I plays know, I that know exactly you know. What you mean. Yeah, yeah. It just it doesn't do anything for me. And here it feels like Jane Campion sort of brought in whatever that is, whatever it is inside him, and made it work for the character because he plays. Uh, I mean, I'm not sure I'd agree with this assessment by Letterboxd calling him a charismatic rancher. Uh, he's a rancher who's like a huge piece of shit and this part's right he inspires fear and awe in those around him and when his brother played by Jesse Plemons brings home a new wife played by uh, Kirsten Dunst and her new son or her her son who is uh, when he brings home his his actual wife (laughs) uh, Cody Smith McPhee Um, Phil torments them until he finds himself exposed to the possibility of love uh yeah, I mean, the, the Power of the Dog is one of those toxic masculinity movies. That's that's really what it's about. It's about men uh, who find themselves connected to something, don't want to share that thing, or they want to share that thing, and they are harassed and abused for it until, you know, some sort of community comes together and they have to figure it out for themselves. But... Uh, the rancher uh, who Benedict Cumberbatch plays uh, is not one of those people to come together and help anyone. He, he plays a great piece of shit. I'll say that. And it's a beautiful movie. Beautiful looking movie. Uh, which, which was shot by... We're doing great. Ari Wagner, who did Zola. Oh, Zola. Uh, Lady Macbeth. Oh, In Fabric. I loved In Fabric, by the way. Uh, True History of the Kelly Gang. She's great, and uh, no, no, it's just fan- it's a fantastic movie. Another Johnny Greenwood score. Uh, sometimes I thought, does this score fit the movie? Um, sometimes it doesn't. Most of the time it does. So you know, we'll take that. I guess <laughs> if you get Johnny Greenwood to do the score for your movie, you don't really say no to much. Yeah, you sort of really go, okay. No like, guys, been doing well, it for too long. Right, like. We'll just we'll take it. We'll have it. Like you, you know what's going to be right for this. Um, and then yeah, it's it's another great uh, movie. I, I mean, I really love her stuff. It's only in the last few years that I've, um, watched a lot of her movies that she's put out, like Sweetie and Angel at My Table, uh, yeah. In the Cut, The Piano. The piano's great. The piano's, yeah, piano's fucking incredible. Yeah, exactly. And it's. The fact that Jane Campion could put something like this out and it feels like it's just mid-tier work for her, like or someone if someone said low-tier work, it could be like I guess so, but I don't think she's ever made anything that's like outwardly bad. I I don't think so. I haven't seen Top of the Lake, but I have seen her like mm. most of her features and like they're all pretty fucking good. You know what? Top of the Lake season two is pretty bad, so uh, it's that's low-tier uh, Campion. The rest, this goes with the rest. Power of the Dog is very good. Very good movie. This comes to Netflix at the end of the year. 
another Netflix movie that I didn't get to watch, that I did want to watch, but I justified because uh, I did not want to leave my uh, home that day. Uh, Passing was playing, and I think that comes out in November. Uh, it's the uh, Rebecca Hall directed movie uh, with Tessa Thompson, and uh, that movie looks oh, great. Yeah, and I hope to watch it. Yeah, that movie looks interesting. Um, specifically because it made me discover that Rebecca Hall is is um, mixed, and I did not yeah. know that. <laughs> well, there. I mean, because at first everybody was like, "What's she doing making that movie?" Yeah, I was like, "Why is Rebecca Hall making this movie about passing as light skin?" Uh, and then it's like, "Well, yeah, I guess that makes sense. That's that works out." Um, I yeah. mean. To be fair, she she does not pass as white skin. She she is just fully like a, a white person, and, yeah. and entirely like the way people would ever perceive her, based off the way that she looks. And then yeah, I mean, no one ever had. Yeah, I did not know that she was like literally. I did not know that in the slightest. I've also I've, I'm a huge fan of Rebecca Hall. So every time I've ever seen her, I'm like, yeah, that's that British chick. I love her. She's great. But then, it, I, amazing actor, and, and it's. It's just, I don't know, I guess it was a strange surprise. Yeah, that was just, like, complete, like... Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Anyways, uh, I guess I want to give you the reins. Is there anything... I know you're, you know, you're a busy person. You got things you have to do. But did you watch anything that you'd like to talk about? Or is this the point where we should talk about... Squid Game, not as a whole, but as I don't know, something. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm I, the only thing I've really been been watching is like I, I've been trying to catch up with Succession because um, I've never seen it before, and season three is coming out, and I want to actually like be up to date with something for once when it releases. How far are into it are you? I am like I think halfway through season one, and I'm still kind of taking my time with it just because like. I don't know. Um, it's good, but it just hasn't done anything for me yet. I must have talked to you about it when it first came out or something, because I really despise the first episode of that show, because I don't think I like the way Adam McKay deals with oh, man, political he's, content. His, his way of dealing with political content is just like throwing the subtext directly into your face and then having the characters say it out loud and joke about it, and I'm just like... And and the show I think has has to like overcome that for the first like few episodes, and so I was watching it and I was like, "There's nothing for me to admire. I just hate these people." Exactly. I, yeah. That, that, I don't like anything. Yeah, I don't like. That's the thing is is people are are when it comes to shows about bad people about people who are terrible, like there needs to be something and like that show doesn't. I mean, like the performances are all really good. Um, I didn't even like the filmmaking because I don't like the way Adam McKay makes movies, which is like he shoots him like he, he's he he shoots them like as if he's making a documentary. It's almost like the mockumentary. It's kind of like except yeah. without the talking head portions of it. It's all just sort of like the cameras there doing the quick zoom ins. Yeah, they're not, they're on a dolly too, so they're constantly like moving and like it's almost like the thing is like that works when Robert Altman does it because it's it's like hey, just like. I'm watching people exist versus like as a viewer, it seems like you're watching things. You're a person who's witnessing these things compared to the way Adam McKay does it, where it's like, 
this is a mockumentary, like you said, like a mockumentary without the talking heads, except if... Unless we're talking about fucking... Uh, what's it called? Uh, the one he did, The Big Short, which actually has people talking directly into the camera, which in that case feels very much like a documentary. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, it's, he's... He's not very good at dealing with political content. Like... He, <laughs> I want to I wanna say this, like, openly about succession because i brought up the first episode and then the subsequent episodes after that because it's a show that i <clears throat> legitimately tried watching three times yeah this I is tried, my third time yeah i tried watching it three times and on the third time probably like midway to like later into the actual season <clears throat> something click clicked all of a sudden the characters started to be like i understand why people like some people want to be random and why they're so interesting. Yeah. I don't know if you've gotten to it, but if by the time you watch an episode where they go to this ranch for like a family therapy thing, and no, you're I'm not, not there yet. I'm not there yet. I'm not there <clears throat> okay. Yet. I won't say anything about it, but if by the time you finish that episode and you're not into it, I don't think you're just going to get into it. I think that's it. Like th- 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 I've that, heard that there. from from a lot of people. I heard everybody say like you have to get to the the ranch episode, and and that's the problem. Like it's we, it's sad to be like I recommend this show, but and then you got to get to this point, and then you do you're into the show or hopefully, and you watch the second season and you're like oh my god I get it, I get I mean, what what everybody was telling me about. I kind of actually miss that because I feel like old TV used to do that where old TV was like it takes a, a, like a season or so to get good because like the first season of Breaking Bad is kind of just boring. Um, well, I mean, we talked a lot about Breaking Bad uh, when that was on because the first I'd say the first half of like almost every season of that show started really slowly. Yeah. <laughs> you know, like they and people were always pissed off. Like, why is it taking this long to get to something? And nobody ever learned the lesson because, of course, something was going to blow up in the last like three episodes yeah uh but it it's i mean succession isn't really that show in the first season and then it is but it it becomes funnier like it's a funnier show like the barbs that they get back at each other are great like it it reminds me of ianucci in a sense it is it that's that's what i was going to say the reason why i've i've hung on to it is because the the showrunner is one of the writers from the thick of it so i'm like you know what all right (laughs) Yeah. It, it's a show that becomes funnier and it's a show that becomes more tragic. Uh, the Shakespearean feel of it really like takes hold. Uh, you, you're you're going to, it's it's weird to be like, you're going to be into it. Trust me. Just get there. <laughs> like just have it on. You'll understand. Yeah. It's yeah. Jesse Armstrong made it. He was the dude who, who was like one of the writers on uh, and producers of thick of it, of the thick of it. So like, yeah i mean like i'm I'm just i'm holding out because i know that it's gonna like that's the thing that keeps me like coming back to it is 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 that aspect of it because like in the thick of it i'm like none of those people are fucking likable no um i guess i guess that was the difference is like the thick of it worked because i don't know I, I, I wasn't aware of, of English politics or how they work, so I got to learn something while also watching it versus, like, I know how, like, Goldman Sachs and all these, like... 
I know how that shit works yeah. like I, Wall Street I, and all that. Like I, I'm aware of it and like I see it and like I've been around those people too. So I'm just like nothing about this is interesting. To me. Well, think it comes out I think at a weird time and in a weird place where we are like completely just fucking tired of you know the rich and the yeah. way that they treat people, and it's hard to laugh at at them. But oh, absolutely. The, the show really makes it easy to laugh at them at, at a, at a point. It really starts to like, you go, Oh, we're really like mocking this type of person. We're yeah. really making them look like a big fucking idiot. And it, it helps. Uh, I have the weirdest comparison. Um, but I was trying to get, uh, my girlfriend to watch the, what we do in the shadows TV show. Uh, cause I think we tried watching it and she couldn't get past like the first season because they're just annoying. They're they're yeah. like just they're ir- like they're particularly irritating, and it seems like if you were to make vampires now, it was like it was accurate to what the way that they would be. And then the second season somehow, uh, it it gets the feel of the movie, where okay. it's it's fun to be around them. You you'd understand why you should be there, but they're still annoying. But it's okay because everybody else understands too. Once everybody else understands that they're the worst people in the world, then it's fine. It just it 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 for some reason it took both shows like almost a full season to get there, and I, mean, I don't think it should have. I don't think that like every, I don't think every show about bad people needs to like. I don't, I, it doesn't always take a whole season to get there for every show like that. Like again, I I kind of got into um, what we do in the shadows like straight out of the gate. But also to be fair, like I'm I'm a sucker for like for uh, that kind of humor, like extremely dry dry like English humor and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. That, that stuff is is very much my speed. So like it was much easier for me to get into it because I, I laugh. I, I think that shit is funnier versus like. I think it's the one thing that's keeping me around with, with Succession too is like that that still shines through because like as much as Jesse Armstrong and his writers want want to write for American people, I know like some of those writers are English and I'm like this is not <laughs> this doesn't always come off as like American humor. And I think that's the one thing that keeps me like actually sticking with, with Succession. Um and also I haven't gotten to that episode yet, but like Yeah, no, it's it's definitely trying though, because like like you said, like those characters aren't they aren't in any regard likable. I'm. I'm also like we're at, we're at a place where like I, I've seen so much shows about rich people, and I'm just like I, I don't I don't really think I can handle any more TV shows about rich people. It's an oversaturated field. Yeah, like there's so many things about like really rich people being terrible, and I'm like at, at like not that we shouldn't do that because obviously like yeah, rich people are awful. We should show people that, but after a certain point, it's like I can't watch every single show and movie about rich people being terrible. I need to pick and choose. And it's like, if you, if you were to give me a show where every episode, like had that stunt where they're like, Hey kid, if you hit this fucking ball, like we'll give you like a million dollars or whatever. And then the kid doesn't hit it. And then they're like, okay, it's all right. And then they like pay him off later. Like if something like that happened all the time, um, I just don't think I'd have any interest. Cause it's, I know what the dilemma is there. It's not, interesting it's not entertaining it's just kind of like i'm annoyed yeah i don't want to be annoyed all the time yeah well it's no go ahead yeah no i i I agree 
Okay, well, uh, Squid Game, uh, I was going to bring it up earlier because uh, we were talking about there's one, you know, we'd like to be, there to be one person that is making anime right now that was like, I have something that's going to like revolutionize everything. And it made me think of Squid Game because apparently the creator of Squid Game had these like scripts ready or script, I don't know how many he had done for like 10 years. Yeah, and I no, that. Nobody would say yes. And I'm watching this show, and I'm trying to figure out why nobody would say yes, because it seems pretty like, unless the price was the issue, and apparently this show only cost $20 million, which... It's cheap. How do you stretch that budget? You are going to see more things in this show, and you're not going to understand how it's not like $10 million an episode. To be fair, I think the reason why ten years ago that show didn't work is because ten years ago nobody wanted to talk about uh, well, like income inequality or wealth inequality, in that way. Um, I Especially think... in Korea. Yeah, I mean, yeah, like, because I I was so I, I I watched like the first episode. I didn't get all the way through it, but even then, I was just like, oh, this show is like just gonna be very outward with these things. Versus like, I mean, like, there's directors like Park Chan Wook and stuff who are doing it, or like, um, uh, uh. Bong Joon-ho, but Bong Joon-ho was like doing it via genre mm-hmm. versus versus the show's just like more way more direct. I think people just weren't Yeah, 2000 10 years ago was like 2000. He said like 2009 was when he had the show written. I, I was reading that somewhere. Like I think 2009 was a year. I could be wrong with that. It could be like 2010 or something. But either way, like I think about like just all of film and media in 2010 and like nothing was was doing that this way like even like shows like breaking bad and stuff like that were talking about those things in ways that were wildly indirect and also like so obfuscated that like that wasn't people didn't realize that that was most of the point until way after it was out like people were watching breaking bad because it was like this is an intense drama not because it's like the tale of like a person who's start selling meth because like they don't have money to pay for their health insurance. Yeah, and it, it it's. I mean, I I don't want to say a lot because I don't want to color your uh, feelings on the show as you watch it. Yeah. I'd imagine you're going to watch more. Oh, and absolutely! I want to finish it. I was in, I enjoyed everything that I saw. I was just like reading about the 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 what's it thing um, subtitles and kind of like being upset about it because i was like great i'm, I'm missing half of what the show's saying right now but then apparently that's not entirely like the case they were talking about like the closed captioning for like the hearing impaired or something not the yeah. closed captioning that was just what we use I, I don't know it was odd um that, but that was like a big thing that netflix just didn't address at all but i mean i'm not we're not going to get started on things netflix is addressing yeah. uh I I think I got later into the show and I wondered it, that's when it made me wonder like why didn't they think this wasn't gonna do well like what 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 about this show doesn't ring to you like people love this shit like this drama everybody who's like seen a Japanese movie in the last twenty years has like seen Battle Royale. They yeah. they're going to bring up battle royale when they see this, uh, for obvious reasons, 
Um, of course, that then that brings into like Hunger Games territory, so on and so forth. It's like a proven model. Um, just you know, putting that out there. So I don't, I don't get like aside from this income equality thing, which even then, it's not like people being like, it's not like people weren't in hard times beforehand and didn't realize it. And people didn't make things about people who didn't have money. Uh, it's just, I feel like now, all of a sudden now, it's like, okay, now we really got like a market for it. We can really do it now. Yeah. I mean, it, it, it helps that like in the past few years, like there's there's been like a, a very like significant ramping up of, of projects about those things. And like because of back-to-back financial crises, like people are, are kind of like a lot more aware of, of just the absolute insanity of wealth inequality because like no nobody was yeah that wasn't like people weren't also i, I feel like the people who, who were making the, the, the decisions to to allow, like not allow but the people who were making decisions to allow things into production about those those uh, those concepts weren't weren't <laughs> like they didn't want to have those conversations mm-hmm and that was that feels like a very like deliberate thing too on their behalf, where it's like nobody was making stuff about like the obscene amount of wealth wealth inequality because they didn't want that to be a part of the conversation versus whatever. I mean, you look at the past ten years and like most of the things people are watching were like escapist and and completely unrelated to everything that led up to like the 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 global pandemic, where like. At this point, I mean, I don't think there's anybody who isn't un- un- like unaware of just how bad wealth inequality is. Yeah, we, we, we had the big wake-up call. Yeah. All right. I think now, if we're done with TV, uh, unless there's anything else you've watched. No. No? Okay, cool. Well, let's talk about the new Bond, okay? I have uh, not seen it yet. Do you have any affinity for the character or the franchise? Okay, I love Bond. I I'm a huge Bond fan. Um I think Daniel Craig is like one of the best Bonds. I I love, yeah. I'm I'm very much a Bond fan, and especially like Craig's Bonds and like Fukunaga and everything about this movie. I really want to see it. I was okay. trying to go and see it like today. Okay, perfect. I will say. And I didn't mean to make that sound bad cuz generally when I say that, I think that's a bad thing. Uh I really like this movie. I would say, like, I think most people I've seen, it's probably mid-tier in the list of Bond movies. And we should take that as, like, a good thing. Um, Because obviously the tier, the top two are Casino Royale and Skyfall. Yeah. The bottom two are Quantum of Solace and Spectre. And then No Time to Die in the middle. The distance between any of those movies or between the bottom two and the top two can vary. Uh, but uh, No Time to Die is a mostly successful uh, Bond or Craig Bond entry because it features the best and the worst things about all of these movies, like all of okay. his movies. Everything there from the... Uh... God, how am I forgetting this? The storytelling device, uh, 
the 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 way that like the Craig as the character, Craig as like an evolving person is a positive, and like yeah. what happens here with that. Um, the way that it has to close out the story, in terms of like, you know, there being this big thing like the the bad guy from beginning to end, uh, that never seems to be a thing that forms together, which isn't like, you know, that sucks pretty bad. Yeah. Uh, so that's not good. Uh, I still don't like. I watched a season of Mr. Robot. I understand why <laughs> Rami Malek's good there. Yeah. I don't think Rami Malek's a good actor. And I mean, it's not like the villain's written to have anything to do with anything. But man, it's not good. Just no. I kind of dig Rami Malek, so I'm interested to check it out. But that's interesting to hear because I, I, I know quite a few people. I know like a, not quite a few. I know like a few people who think that like he's not a good actor. I it it's weird because it's hard to do understated, and I think we've seen him do understated really well. He can do it. I think he is a capable man of doing a a very good job. He unfortunately was saddled with like doing winning an academy award for like one of the worst acting impressions I think many, most people have seen. <laughs> and then like but a lot of the general public just was like okay. But anyways, Fukunaga's action is excellent. If you're upset about anything story-wise in this movie, don't be upset about the action because it's great. Okay. That's good to hear. Fukunaga, I think, does everything in his power to make this unwieldy two-hour and 43-minute film move as fast as it can. I will say, No Time to Die is a, it's a success as... Hmm. I guess it's sort of a success as a franchise ender and it's a pretty good success as its own like movie. Anodaramus okay. is great. That's it. I don't have anything more to say that I I can say spoiler free. Uh Fukunaga can do no wrong. He's an interesting choice. Who was there was someone else who was supposed to do it before him that was also uh, interesting. Danny Boyle. Okay, that's not that interesting. I take that back. Yeah, but Fuku- <laughs> Fukunaga apparently went Fukunaga's on. Fukunaga's a step up, step up. Fukunaga went on uh, to the show, and they're like, "Hey, so we still have all these like sets that and like stunts that Boyle wanted to do. Do you want to do them?" And he's like, "No, no." They just scrapped them completely and started over. That's incredible to hear. And I mean, apparently, it's going to take nine hundred million for this movie to break even. It's not going to break even. Jesus not even close. Christ, that's so much money. That, but I mean, I don't know what you expect. This is the problem. Like maybe this is what serial uh, serial was the word I was thinking of. Serialized uh, storytelling. It just shouldn't be for Bond, and maybe this is how they're going to learn that you don't, you can't do this with them. Like you, you didn't have a plan. There was no plan going into these movies. Uh, that's why the Casino Royale works so well is because it feels like he starts off as one thing, goes to the end of one thing. And theoretically speaking, that movie could just be its own thing. None of these movies after that have to have to be there. I like quantum of solace more than I've seen it again recently. I don't think it's that bad. Yeah. Quantum of solace actually has like some good set pieces. Like the opera set piece is pretty good. Yes. It's just kind of boring. That's its only problem. It's kind of boring. For a movie that's an hour and forty-seven minutes, 
I don't also also don't from the movie it. a movie from the guy who made Casino Royale and some of the best Bond films like Mark Forrester made uh, some of the best Bond films and then he made that yeah I, I don't I don't see it just it's weird so anyways uh, the this experiment was a success because we got Daniel Craig's Bond which is an interesting Bond um, but it feels like uh, I hope this curse of like the first movie and all these Bond runs being the best Bond movie isn't going to be true all the time. Oh, wait. I, I just made a, a confusion. I always confuse fucking Mark Forrester and Martin Campbell. They're like the same person to me. Oh, yeah. Oh, no. That's totally they're, fair. They're just like bald Englishmen who make... <laughs> Goldeneye and uh, yeah. Casino Royale. And Mark Forrester did The Kite Runner. And... Um, Stranger Than Fiction, and I don't know what that other movie was. He's made some films that it didn't make sense when he made that Bond movie. Yeah. But Martin it's... Campbell. Don't think he's coming back for the next one. No. <laughs> it's probably not happening. All right. No Time to Die. That's it. Uh, last one. We're talking about The Last Duel. <laughs> Ridley Scott. He's a... Uh, I, I really don't know how to describe his output. He, like, succeeds wildly sometimes. I, I feel like the best way to describe Ridley Scott, and I saw this, like, recently on, on, like, on Twitter, and I was like, this person nailed it, is, like, he's kind of like Michael Curtiz. He's, he is just an absolute craftsman. I, there's one thing I can say about every single movie that he's made is is he knows how to put a fucking movie together. Yeah, no, I, I mean, it's totally true because I think he relies on the scripts, which is, you know, a bit of his curse. Uh, yeah. Because I think he settles for bad scripts half Plenty the time. Of times. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so many times. And I guess the good news I have here is that uh, Ridley Scott was given a script that has depth and it has points of view uh it has subtext and a story that it's telling and um just because ridley scott hasn't gotten a good script lately doesn't mean he doesn't know how to uh, make a good film out of one no in fact it's almost the opposite yeah and and so ridley scott has probably made his best film um in years as a man who likes uh Alien Covenant and and Prometheus, believe it or not, this is probably his best movie. In, I don't know since the director's cut of Kingdom of Heaven. Ah, I mean, I'm really big on the director's cut of The Counselor. I think it's a masterpiece. Oh God, I completely forgot about The Counselor. Yeah, that's great too. That's okay. I I forgot. I apologize. The Counselor is amazing. The, the, the director's cut is fucking brilliant. Yeah, the last duel. Um, it's a great movie, and you know what? I'm not sure it needs a director's cut to be great. It's already there. And what Man. I didn't realize about this was it's the first reunion of Matt Damon and Ben Affleck as writers. Yeah, they haven't written shit in, in ages. Those two and Nicole Holoff Center, who was one of the That's wild. female writer-directors <laughs> of like the 2000s. <laughs> Why are well, so the movie is told in three separate perspectives. Uh, it's told from the perspective of Matt Damon's character, who is uh, the husband of a, uh, a woman played by uh, Jodie Comer, who okay. has been uh, who 
accuses Adam Driver's character of rape. Oh, wow. And, well, I, I think I've, yeah, I've read about this. Yeah. And so uh, the movie is about the last duel of, of in the history of France. And uh, it, the movie—it's a bunch of Americans. I can't fucking wait to watch this movie. The the great thing is, is the the accents are the worst part, and they like just go away. Like you just don't like it doesn't even matter at a point. Yeah. Like we've just we've dealt with so much shit in terms of accents and like all these actors like not doing them properly. That you just have it's just fun sometimes, and I feel weird being like, I had a lot of fun about this movie dealing with the politics of uh, the power of men. <laughs> And their like, their power over like women's bodies, but and it's there's horrifying things in this movie, but the the violence and a lot of like the movie is sometimes really funny. Ben Affleck gives like one of his like funniest performances in this. <laughs> one of his funniest performances. I'm not I joking. Need to see this movie. He's, I need to see this. Movie you do. So He's used perfectly. He's used perfectly. <laughs> um. I don't know. I, I just, I, I was stunned walking out of the theater. I was shocked. I was like, why is this movie so good? This shouldn't be this good. Ridley Scott, it, I don't understand you. Like how the so, second Ridley Scott makes a move with people on horseback, that shit is really good. But what about Italians? Because House of Gucci comes out next month. I mean, I'm, I'm going to watch it because it looks insane. But I want to know it, which movie Adam Driver made with him first. Because if he made the last duel with him first, last duel, yeah, was it? And then afterwards, he's like, "I'll still work with him." Because it looks like he put him through the fucking ringer. I feel like Adam Driver wants to go through the ringer. He you, just looks like that kind of actor who wants to go through the ringer. Do you think it's that marine background? He's like, "Oh, absolutely, yeah, put me through it." Yeah, absolutely, yeah. That's excellent. No, yeah, no. This is this was a home run for me. It, it's it's so good. So good. I can't. I can't wait to see it. I please tell me when you watch it. I I, ha- I haven't like watched trailers for a movie in a long time. Um, I've been like deliberately not watching them, especially for films that like I really want to watch. So I've only seen like one thing from the last duel, and it was like all the terrible wigs. And I was like, I need to see this movie. Oh, yeah. tomorrow. Matt Matt Damon's got like a terrible mullet. Adam Driver's just got the same hair he has and everything. Uh, it Ben Affleck's wig is. Whew. <laughs> oh man Ben Affleck just works he gets it Did I never like thought in my mind that like Ben Affleck was the talented one of the two like I, I, I never thought that that's until, changed recently yeah it, <laughs> recently it makes sense that's changed recently uh, like all of a sudden you're like oh like Matt Damon you think like you know he's a pretty good actor but he's really good when he's a piece of shit yeah. Like, fantastic piece of shit. Like, The Departed, it makes sense. Oh, yeah, he's so good. And then Ben Affleck has that too, but when I think about which one of them I'd like to see as a piece of shit more, I think Ben Affleck just has more fun with it. Yeah, there's there's like... Oh, man. There's there's that one anecdote for, I always think about whenever I think about Ben Affleck as an actor um, from uh, Gone Girl, when Fincher is making Gone Girl, and there was like a bit where he wanted like Ben Affleck to come off as like, as, as kind of like, like shifting. He didn't know how to, how to get it across. Well, 
and and Ben Affleck was like, "Oh, I I got it." And when they shot the scene, he like had his phone out, and then when I think it was when Carrie Coon like approached him, he immediately put his phone away, and he was like, "That's why I hired Ben Affleck." <laughs> it's yeah. like that man just knows how to be a piece of shit. It's because when people know how to use him right, and I think yeah. as the years have gone on, he knows how to use himself right. Yeah, he just like he knows how to be a piece of shit really well, and like it's almost like. I don't think Ben Affleck's a piece of shit. The man's like dating JLo. So like, I, I think he just like, he gets it. And like, there's something about like There's something about watching him be a piece of shit. That's just like, it's so riveting. Oh, and he's got a little, like he's got some few, like a few lines here that very much feel like it sounds like someone told him in Hollywood, like these words, you're not going to know yeah. what I'm talking about until after you watch the movie. But it, it feels like, something you, they would still hear today and it seems so true <laughs> and uh fantastic really yeah, scott can still do it yeah i'm definitely watching it just really scott needs to make every single one of his movies on horseback yes okay also i feel bad uh jordy comer is amazing uh, jordy comer is really good she's great in killing eve she's amazing in this uh she's great in everything i i, f- I feel like i didn't want to leave this conversation until i said something about how great she is in this. And she has to carry a lot of the movie without us seeing what she sees. And yeah. then she brings the movie through at the end. It's great. Good movie. <laughs> yeah. Anyways. Well, uh, I guess now's the time where I say this is the last episode of the show that uh, will ever happen. Film Fallout is over. Um, I just decided for the betterness of, um, my life, I needed to make a choice and I enjoy talking about movies with my friends and I enjoy having gatherings and conversations about them. Uh, but the, that day where it kept being fun to do it within this context is, uh, it's ended. I'd like to do it on my own terms. And so... Uh, as of now, the the podcast is over, but I do want to say a few things. I want to thank everybody who's been on this. Conti, thank you so much for being here on like the four times I think you've been on this podcast. Yeah, for sure. Uh, I want to thank Christopher Cross, who's been an amazing co-host. Uh, please check out his stuff at tiltmagazine.net, goombastomp.com. I'm sure he's still writing a whole bunch of stuff. He's probably got this stuff out there, so check it out. And you might hear from us in the future, just not here. So check back at his Twitter at HammerCuckCross, that's HammerCuck with a K. And I'm at DreamingDillness, that's Dreaming of the G. And uh, thank you for listening. Goodbye. Watching it tumble, build it back again.